Today's scripture reading uh, comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, uh, which can be found on page 684 of your pew Bibles. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, page 684. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that you, that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is God's word. One of the interesting things about being a pastor is that people ask me all kinds of interesting questions, Um, sometimes at inopportune times, but often at uh, appropriate times and I remember when we started a church in 2003 in Taiwan, in the city of Taipei, we started a congregation that ended up becoming a bilingual congregation. But we started out with an English service and a Mandarin service. And on our first day when we started, we had 88 people show up and most of them were not Christians. And one of the things we did in our services at the end of the sermon, we allotted 30 minutes for people to ask questions. And I'll never forget some of the questions people asked in that first service. The very first question we were asked was, I was asked by a non-Christian, and it was this. What does the Bible say about aliens? Now, have any of you ever wanted to ask me that question? You can ask it to me later. I'm not going to answer that question, but think about that. What does the Bible say about aliens? Um, Another question that was asked Where did the wives for Cain and Abel come from? Now, people, I have no idea of the answer to that question. And you might have thought about that. Uh, Other children in the congregation asked me, Pastor Tim, why are dinosaurs not in the Bible? Well, I don't know the answer to to that question. And even last night, Evie and I had an opportunity to fellowship with one of the families in our in our Chinese um, church section, and it was a real blessing last night, as many of the people who came were from mainland China. They were not Christians, but they came because they heard that I was going to be there and they wanted to ask me questions. And one of the people there asked me a very difficult question. He asked me, where was Jesus Christ when the massacre in Nanjing happened in 1937 and 330,000 people were killed in the space of a week by the Japanese army? Where was Jesus? Well, brothers and sisters, when we come to this passage today in Matthew 5, we do not have a question that someone um, is asking to me. We have a question that Jesus Christ is asking to all of you. And it is a very important question. I'm not saying that the questions that have been asked me before weren't important, especially the question from last night. 
And I did give an answer to it from the scriptures. But there is no more important question that any of you could consider other than the one that Jesus Christ asks us all to consider in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you look at my outline, you can fill in the blanks. You'll see what the question is. It is this. What kind of righteousness will make you acceptable before God and worthy of heaven? What does God expect in order to let you in? What is the standard of righteousness, of goodness that he is expecting in order to let you or anyone else into the kingdom of heaven? Now, I want to review some of the context we read beginning in verse 21 in this passage today. But if you go back earlier in the passage, take a quick look at verse 17 and verse 20. We have the answer to that question from Jesus's perspective. His whole reason for preaching the sermon, I think, was to help people understand how to answer this question in light of his coming and what he was going to teach as well. So Jesus says that the kind of righteousness that makes you acceptable before God and worthy of heaven is one that comes through his fulfillment of the law. Look at verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And here Jesus is standing in a place of royal kingly authority saying that it's all about him. It's all about what he came to do, and he did not come to set aside all the dictates and requirements of God's holy law. He came to fulfill them in order that we might be able to fulfill them as we look to him and trust in him. And then if you look with me in verse 20, we see the second answer to that question of what kind of righteousness will make you acceptable before God and worthy of heaven. In verse 20, we see this. The righteousness that makes us acceptable before God and worthy of heaven is a righteousness that's greater than what the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. So Jesus says that in verse 24, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what happened here? What happened here was, is the Pharisees and the scribes got a hold of the word of God and they started doctoring it up, just like people do today. They doctor up the word of God. They dumb it down and try and make it something that when you look at it, you say, I can do that. And they did that. And in this passage, we will see, beginning in verse 21, what they did and then how Christ um, answers it. You know, it's interesting As I've considered that question, what kind of righteousness will make you acceptable before God and worthy of heaven? It's actually the question that I've spent the most time in my entire 25 years of serving as a missionary of this congregation overseas. That's the question I've spent most of my time listening to people answer. And it's the question that people want to discuss with me. But even before I went to the mission field, when I was serving as a pastor in Philadelphia, one night I took a group of people from our church um, out to just talk to people in front of the supermarket. And we had these cool little surveys and we'd ask people two important questions and then we'd see how they would uh, respond to it. But one woman I will never forget when when I asked her um, what kind of righteousness would make her acceptable before God. Um, She said, well, she said, it's very simple. I've had 11 children. (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's really cool. I said, what you ought to get is a medal for that. Um, That's amazing. You've had 11 kids, but that's not what God is looking for. 
as, as a standard of righteousness. At other times, people have thrown up different answers. One time, I was in China in August of 1994. I was in the city of Xi'an with about uh, four or five people from our church in Taiwan. And we were there because we just wanted to share Christ. And my Chinese at that time was about kindergarten level. I, I was happy that I could say uh, God loves the world in Chinese. And I was really excited over that. But I brought translators with me. And here we are at a tourist hotel in Xi'an having breakfast. And a man asked me in Chinese um, what country I was from. And I didn't answer his question. He asked me, what country are you from? And I said, I'm a Christian. Um, now, doesn't that happen to you sometimes? You know, you, you ask somebody a, a question, but they give you an answer back that has nothing to do with the uh, question you asked. You see this on the TV all the time, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, <clears throat> so I said, I'm a Christian. And he looks at me and he's flipping my eggs. You know, he was doing an omelet, but he was doing a really cool thing of flipping my eggs. And he looked at me and he said, the message of the Bible is you must be good in order to be accepted by God. And I looked at him and I said, you're wrong. But I said, the answer is much better than that. When do you get off work? He said this this evening. So I said, let's talk. So we met outside of the um, uh, of the place where we were staying. And he brought his friend from the laundry department. And I sat and I explained to them the answer from the scriptures that we've seen, that the kind of righteousness that makes us acceptable before God and worthy of heaven is Christ's righteousness that comes into our lives when we trust Christ and believe in him by faith. And on that night, both of those uh, gentlemen became Christians. It was a very exciting night. And then something else happened. Uh, we go to pay the bill. And when we, when we went to pay the bill, the man who was, who was the little shop owner over the little outdoor cafe, and we had bought uh, two Cokes and one Fanta orange in a bottle. Uh, back then, they still used bottles, and you had to take the cap off of it. So the guy had come and taken the cap off of our bottle, and we had drunk three soft drinks, and he charged us 30 renminbi at the time. And that was just, like, incredible. It went beyond what anybody could have possibly imagined. And I'm used to, as a foreigner, people asking me to pay more than I should. But in that instance, this was so far beyond... I. I gave him a look like, are you serious? And my two friends who had just become Christians got angry. So the man walks off and they look at me and they said, Pastor Tim, we'll take care of him. And I'm thinking, no, I said, we won't take care of him. I said, here's what here's what we're going to do. You go and talk to him and tell him that I will pay the bill if he sits down and listens to what I just shared with both of you. And they're like. Okay, so they go up and they ask him and they said, look, foreign guy, he's going to pay the bill. One condition, got to sit down and listen to what he wants to say. Okay, and the guy goes, okay, so he sits down and I, we start considering this question and he gives me his answer and his answer to what makes him acceptable before God was very interesting. He said, what makes me acceptable before God is the fact that every Sunday I take my mom, who's 74 years old and blind, I walk her down the street to the church service and I sit with her in church. And I looked at him and I said, am I a car? And he's like, what? And I said, do I look like a car? And he said, no, you look like a human being. And it's like, why did, why did you ask me that question? And I said, well, last week, 
On Sunday, I walked in to the garage of our church in Taipei. And if walking into the garage and standing there for 10 minutes doesn't turn me into a car, why do you think that walking in to the church with your mother makes you a Christian? It's like, hmm, you have a point there. Um, so then we, we considered to go through the gospel. And as I gave him the Ten Commandments um, and got about halfway through, he looked at me and he said, stop, stop. He said, I know I'm a sinner. I just want to believe. And he became a Christian. And then when it came time to pay the bill, um, I, I was willing to pay the 30. And he didn't want to take 30. He wanted to take five. And I said, no, we had an agreement. I give you 30. And, um, and I gave him 30. And then he didn't know what to do with himself. Then on 26, 26 more trips that happened um, to the city of Xi'an, I went to share with his family as every one of them became Christians um, his mother was already a Christian. They opened their home to our team. I will never forget a Chinese New Year where I even brought my aged mother. She was in her 70s from the U.S. Um, uh, over there to China. And they fixed a meal for us that cost 200 renminbi. And I asked myself, what is it that turns greedy people into givers? It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so as the grace of God touched his life and he got the right answer to the question, his life was profoundly changed. Now, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I'm trying to help you guys know how to um, have conversations with people. Because if this question hasn't come up in conversation, in your conversations, when someone finds out you go to this church or you are a Christian, then they're going to probably ask you and they're going to give you their answer. So I want to explore this passage in depth because beginning in verse uh, 21, we, we see some of the reasons why people have the wrong notions in their head about how to answer this question. So beginning in verse 21, Jesus says, you have heard it said that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. I'm reading from the New American Standard. It's a little bit different from the NIV. But then he says in verse 22, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Well, what's happening in this passage is Jesus is pointing out why it is that some people think that they're righteous before God. It's because they have substituted the standards of man for the commands of God. You have heard it said this. And the first thing he says was from the law of God. But the second thing was a sort of corruption of it. The commandment said you shall not commit murder. But the corruption of it was whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. And uh, or in the NIV, it says libel to the judgment. But the point is, is that he was pointing out that what they had heard was that if you commit murder, you'll be liable to the human court of judgment. And it's speaking about the human court, not divine judgment, but but the human court. So basically what people had heard had heard was this. Everything's going to be OK. If you don't commit murder, but if you do commit murder, you're going to have to stand before a court of people. So they substituted the standards of man for the commands of God. And I think that the way that this shows itself in our lives today is very simple. People think that they're righteous if they're not lawbreakers. People think they're righteous if the morality of their lives coincides with the legality of our laws. Now, what's wrong with that is, is we have some things in our laws that are not moral and that are not righteous from God's standpoint. 
So people who think this way have reduced what God's standard is and what God's commands are to what human beings have come up with and have codified into law in our democratic system that we have. And if you want a prime example of that, and we're talking about murder here in verse 21, let's talk about murder. Um, In the United States, murder is legal. And last week, four days ago, I'm not sure how many of you were aware of this. Does anybody know what happened four days ago connected to murder? Raise your hand if you know. Connected to murder in this country. Anybody know what happened four days ago? Not one week ago, but four days ago. Anybody read CNN? Unfortunately, I have it as an app on my phone. It's very distracting, even in church. But one of the things I read was um, a news article that said that Governor Kate Brown of Oregon signed into law the most liberal abortion law in the country. They call it um, the no cost abortion because now insurance companies have to pay the full cost. There's no copayment for anybody who wants to have an abortion. In fact, even illegal aliens in uh, Oregon can get free abortion on demand in that country. In that uh, in that state. Now, that is really, really shocking. And what's even more shocking is, is that they can get an abortion up till the ninth month and the end of the ninth month of the pregnancy. No questions asked in the state of Oregon. Well, brothers and sisters, if somebody thinks that their morality makes them acceptable before God because they follow the laws of their land, well, when you consider that particular aspect, you will find that, no, that is probably the most egregious example of how it is that the standards of man do not correspond with the commands of God. But unfortunately, as Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, they had it in their mind that if if they had not committed murder, then everything was okay, and if they did commit murder, that their only problem was they were going to have to stand before a human court of appeal. So what does Jesus do in verse 22? He elevates it. He doesn't just focus on the negative aspect of the command. He says, do you think you're you're following the standards of God? Do you think that you're living to the commandments of God? Well, think about this. Um, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, Raka means worthless person. Whoever says to his brother, worthless person, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, what's happening here is, is Jesus is talking about the human court, but yet he's also talking about divine judgment as well, and he's raising the bar. And as he raises the bar... Um, we see that he's dealing with what's wrong in people's minds. The reason why people think they're acceptable before God is because they have replaced the judgments of God with the courts of man. And Jesus doesn't allow them to do that. So he raises it up and causes people to think about a court of final judgment where people who say to someone else, you fool and curse them, end up going into the fiery hell. Now, I don't know when the last time it was you heard hell mentioned from the pulpit, um, but Jesus mentions hell a lot. In fact, he mentions hell more than he mentions heaven. And I don't like thinking about hell. You know why I don't like thinking about hell is because I believe in the gospel and I believe that people who don't trust Christ, who hide behind their own righteousness and think that they're good enough to get into heaven, that they're actually going to hell in spite of how good they are. 
That's what the Bible teaches. But as Christians today or professing Christians dumb down the the scriptures, they make it out like it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you're a good person, a nice person, then God will accept you. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. He elevates the standard of righteousness to something that only he can fulfill and only we can enter into by faith. And then he reminds us that people who think that you can exchange the judgments of God with the courts of man and then think that just because you don't get in trouble with the courts of man that you're okay before God. That's wrong. We're not going to make it that way. And notice the third thing that he's saying. He's saying that the people who have something wrong in their head about thinking they're acceptable before God, what is their problem? See on my outline. It's that they've considered only their external behavior rather than the attitudes of the heart. The law of God is very broad in its in its applications. And what people always want to do is to reduce it to like one small little part. Um, I grew up as a Southern Baptist in, in a church in, in Florida. And I love my church. I love my youth group. I love my pastor. Um, he was my pastor for 37 years, just recently r- retired. And, and I just love, uh, love my church growing up. But my church growing up had one particular teaching that I thought was interesting. They said that if you want to be righteous, you can't dance. Well, where did they get that from the Bible? You know, you got David dancing before the Lord and, you know, you read through the Psalms and people are praising God with with drums, with cymbals, with dancing. Clap, oh, clap your hands, all ye people shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I'm going to the scripture and I'm seeing something else. But they had it in their mind. If you want to fulfill the commandment of do not commit immorality, then the way that you fulfill that is by not dancing. So they reduced the entire commandment to don't dance. Well, Whatever. Um, that's what they did. Uh, the other thing, the other thing that happens and people do this connected not only to dancing, but to drinking. Those were the two taboos. And they're like, you can't drink any alcohol, can't drink any alcohol. Christians can't do that. Well, Paul says to Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments. Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And in that time, especially as they didn't have good, clean water and Brita filters to filter their water, people drank wine instead of water. But the problem was, and Paul mentions this in Ephesians 5, verse 18, the problem is not drinking wine. The problem is people getting drunk and being under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. This is wastefulness. But be filled with the Holy Spirit instead. So the problem I have with people who want to get legalistic and take the whole broadness of the law and focus it in on one particular thing. When we were in Indonesia, the one particular thing of righteousness that everybody was so into was this. When you go to church, wear a tie. And if you serve in church, wear a black tie. Now, people, I don't get that from the Bible. But in Indonesia, that was super, super important. So this is what happens. This is what human beings do. We try and take the law of God We turn it into the commandments of man. We focus in on a narrow sliver of it and we say, you do that and you're okay. So my question to you today is, what's your standard? What is the one thing that you're looking to, the one thing that you're hoping in, the one thing that you're telling somebody else, if you do this, God's going to accept you. For some people, it's coming to church. For other people, it's having a quiet time in the morning. Whatever it is, it's not right. Because Jesus lets us know the kind of righteousness that he expects us 
to appropriate as his righteousness, the righteousness that he came to fulfill when he fulfilled the law as he died for us in our place. So as we go on in the passage, we see something else. As Jesus continues to unpack the law, here's where it gets even more challenging. Beginning in verse 23, he wants to talk about the people, beginning in verse 23, that like to come and go to worship and do religious things when there's something horribly wrong in their relationships to other people, specifically to another Christian. So he says, or another brother in the faith. Or sister in the faith, if therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before your before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Well, what he's saying is, is that uh, there's two things that are very important if we want to live a life before the Lord that the Lord accepts. And it's not only having a life where we're in touch with God, the Father, through Christ, by faith. It's also that on a horizontal level, not just the vertical level, but on the horizontal level, we realize how important our relationships are, especially in the family of God. So the two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what else? What's the second one? Love your neighbor. And who's your neighbor? Um, is it the person who lives next to you in your high rise building or in your beautiful neighborhood? No, your neighbor is anyone, um, anyone even who has need. So as, as we think about this, what we realize is, is that Jesus says that worship is so important and relationships are, are so important that if you want to do something religious and you have something wrong with someone else, you've got to fix that first. Jesus isn't the only one to say this in the Bible. Peter says this in first Peter chapter three. He says, husbands, you who are not getting along with your wives because you're not living with them in an understanding way and granting them honor as a fellow heir of, of the grace of life. He says this. When you act like that, your prayers are hindered. You want to have a right relationship with God? Love your wife. Live with her in an understanding way and don't disrespect her. That's what Peter says. So what we see throughout the scriptures is you, you can't have it one way only. There's people who like to come to worship, be in their own um, worship. I call it worship bubble where you're just focusing in on God. And I like to do this sometimes, too. But worship immediately brings us into a corporate dynamic that is so important that we have to consider. Are we having a problem with someone else? And if they're a brother or sister in Christ and they should have the same standards of of what's important as we do. Then if you know that someone has something against you, you don't even sing your song. You don't even put your offering in the plate. You don't even come and serve the Lord. You get right with that person first. Now, this is what the Sermon on the Mount is challenging us to do. Jesus is challenging us to live in a way that reflects these two great commandments, because he is living inside of us is the one who's fulfilled the law so that we, by faith, can fulfill it through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So let me just ask you the question. Is there anybody that you're not reconciled to today? Anybody who's a believer? The Bible says in Romans 12, if it possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, not just believers, but all people. But what you find out, what you'll find in the church, unfortunately, and what you'll find is sometimes you even go to somebody and you try and be reconciled to them, but they won't reconcile with you. And at, at that point, if you've done your part, then 
It's okay to go and worship because you've tried and that person won't reconcile with you. And sometimes that happens. But so many, 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 many times, all it takes is somebody willing to say, I think I've offended you. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Have you said that to somebody recently? I think I've offended you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's the kind of people that the Lord Jesus wants us to be. Those who make peace with others because we've made peace with God. And then notice in verse 25, there's something else that Jesus reminds us of. And it's just a general principle. I put it in point four on my outline. It's this, the way to escape um, judgment. And here we're talking about on a human level, um, the way to escape being thrown into court, if you want to think of it that way, is by making friends with your opponent. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Here's Jesus getting incredibly practical. He's saying it's in your best interests to reconcile with other people and even try and to reconcile with your enemies because they might be in a position to do something even more bad to you than they've already done. So try and make friends with them. Don't you see that this whole idea of making friends with your opponents, this brings into our mind and into our consciousness what the gospel is. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? It's God making friends with his enemies. And the Bible says that happens through the cross of Jesus Christ. God erases the enmity. He erases the antagonism. He erases the problem that exists between us and a holy God because of Christ being punished for us. And because of that, we become the persecuted peacemakers that we saw in the Beatitudes last week. And we become the people in this passage who don't look to a human standard of righteousness, but who respect the commands of God and realize that that's what the Lord has challenged us to rise to. Don't you see what happens in this sermon? It's so amazing. Jesus moves from the negative um, into the heart, into What's impossible? The negative is don't murder. The heart is don't even be angry with with your brother. And then he raises it later on in this chapter to love your enemies. That's the standard of God's command. That's the righteousness. It's not okay just to say, well, that person did something bad to me and I didn't kill him. I wanted to and I didn't kill him. That's the negative. We have to go farther and deal with our anger so that we don't let our anger become an opportunity to sin against someone. But more than that, we have to be the people who love our enemies. Think about what would happen in our country and in our nation if in the last week or two people were living to this standard. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who revile you. Bless and curse not. That is what the Lord challenges us to do. And that's what we can do through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that what we have in your word is so wonderful. It's a way of living that brings people together who have had broken relationships and makes the world a better place. 
Lord, I pray in the midst of the difficulties that we're living in today in our society that we here at Crossbridge would be the disciples who shine as lights amidst the darkness, who bring a message of love, forgiveness, not anger, but instead blessing to a world that's full of hostility, hate, anger, and is not reconciled with one another. God, make us to be the people that this sermon shows us to be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.